When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, Mike Kazaza joins us to preview OU West Virginia. No one covers West Virginia football closer than earsports.com, and Mike is the guy over there. In the National College Football Roundup, we preview some of the best games in Week 4, including Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Texas A&M, Arkansas. We wet the beak with Sunday's matchup between the Bears and Browns and finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, September 23rd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted, voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games. With a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack, match, roulette, and Teddy Lehman's favorite craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in September from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play and Riverwind's $80,000 Blitz and Bucks promotion. Drawings are every 30 minutes. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, still the one. Now recording this Wednesday night, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Okay, health check. How we doing? How we feeling? We back all the way back, back to 100%. I'm back. I'm back. I would say I'm 90 to 95% back. Oh, good to go. That's awesome. That's all we need. Yeah. We, we don't need to go any deeper then. No, because uh, as you know, my 90 to 95% is better than pretty much everyone else's 100%. You, you are a high energy <laughs> psycho. So uh, that, that is good. Okay. Birthday shout outs. Ted, they keep rolling in. Happy 42nd birthday. Yeah, you, Eric Monroe, happy 42nd birthday. We appreciate you being such a loyal listener, Eric. Marlon Star Houston, happy 26th birthday coming up next week. Your strategy of tweeting a bottle of Balcones whiskey worked on us. If you awesome. do that, we will give you a birthday shout out. Well done, sir. 
Now to the football. Okay, Ted, you did the did you do the show with Lincoln this week? I, I did not. Okay. Um, I didn't think you did because I Curtis didn't know. did it. Yeah. Okay. So I suppose the part this part of the podcast where I go, hey, anything stand out about what Lincoln? I did said? hear some of the audio from it though, and there's some things that stood out. Well, there we go. I, I thought it was interesting whenever he said that walking off the field, he didn't feel very good about the offense's performance. But after going in and watching the film, he felt felt better about it. Now, I guess you got to always judge, like, how bad did he feel walking off the field? If he felt, like, god-awful, then, okay, maybe it wasn't as bad as he thought. But I was kind of surprised by that because, I don't know, I, I, I felt like they, they left quite a bit out there. Not necessarily on, 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 like, single plays that you can point to, but on just like position groups needing to play better and, you know, game three of the season needing to be at a, at a better spot. Yeah. I, I think that was kind of our takeaway from it. Yeah. Going back and think about what we said in that recap episode, I think that, yeah, they, they, they could have played better. Definitely could have played better need to play better because conference play is here, baby. Competition's about to ramp up. Nebraska is not going to be the most talented team. That's not going to be the best defense they see. So the attention to detail, that's the thing. The attention to detail has to get better. Assignment-wise, technique-wise, details, baby, they matter. So I did Coach's Corner Wednesday. A few nuggets from that. You mentioned you know, Lincoln maybe not being in a great mood coming off the field. Oh, my God. Alex Grinch, so this is how Coach's Corner works. They come basically right off the field on Wednesday and join me in Plank for that show. And your man Grinch was fuming. The the most upset I've ever seen him, like demeanor-wise. And he's a calm guy. I mean, he's a calm guy, but he was in it. He wasn't mad about the Nebraska performance, or I'm sure he is, but it was all about how they practice on Wednesday. I mean, he was not pleased. And it sounds like he has been getting after those guys on the defensive side of the ball all week in practice. So I, I'm interested to see how the defense responds to that version yeah. of him because clearly he is in no way satisfied with how they have played up to this point this season, Ted. So I... I I thought that was uh, rather interesting that he was hot coming off the practice field. You know, that's interesting because I've thought about this a lot and I've, and I've talked with coaches about it quite a bit too. As strange as it may seem, a lot of team, a lot of times like a good or bad week of practice isn't necessarily the indicator on how well you're going to play on the weekend. It's weird. You know, I can remember some of the best games that we played in college were coming off of practice weeks where it was like, oh, my God, that was horrible. Our coaches hate us. We're going to get destroyed. We can't stop anyone. And I don't know if it's that you feel like you practice bad, that everyone's maybe on edge a little bit more going into the game or something. But I feel like we've had really good games off of bad weeks of practice. 
And obviously the flip side has happened too, where you hear coaches say, best week of practice we've had all year. And you go out and it's like, how is that possible? You guys look terrible on the, on the weekend. So I'm, it, it'll be interesting to see is why he's saying that. Is it because they're lethargic? Is it because like the intensity's not there? Is it bust? I mean, it could be a million different things, but it never makes you feel good as an outsider whenever you hear the team's not practicing well. Yeah. And I, he said that. So now I, it's going to be one or the other, right? Yeah. They're either going to look amazing Saturday night or it's going to be like, oh my gosh, they're getting shredded by West Virginia. I'm leaning towards they're going to look really good. Yeah. Because I think West Virginia's offensive line at the tackle positions, I think those two guys or three guys, they play two guys at right tackle. I think all three of those guys stink. Yeah. So uh, I think OU's defense line is going to get after them. But I, I thought that was interesting. We also had DeMarco and basically just talked to him about, you know, what he's seen from Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. And he said both those guys, you know, they haven't been perfect, but they, they've been playing at a really high level. And I thought it was interesting. He said they're grading out like 90-plus percent in pass protection, you know, what they're picking up blitz pickup-wise now. Some of those, they got to get iron it out. They got to get better. There's no doubt. But it, it's clear to me that Eric Gray is starting to understand some of the timing of the run scheme, especially those gap schemes. And uh, I thought he showed some really good stuff against Nebraska. So some positivity in the running back room, Ted. You can never have too much of that. But they only have two guys still. That's, no, that's the reality of it. I like the positivity. I'm still – we're three games in. And I'm still waiting to figure out, like, where's where's the star power on this offense? Like, who who's the superstar? Who's the who's the number one wideout? Who's the number one back? Who's going to take it to the next level? Where are the tight ends gone? Where's Stogner? So, yeah, I um, this could be a hard week to all of a sudden break out. West Virginia's defense is is pretty salty, but we need some guys like. I know the offensive line needs to come around and be better, but we also need some guys to start making some individual efforts out there and turning some routine plays into wow moments. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Absolutely. Okay, you mentioned West Virginia. Here's my mini scouting report. Offensively, they keep it simple, man. They feed Letty Brown. I've watched every single snap they've played on offense this year. They run four running plays, inside zone, outside zone, duo, which is a gap scheme with no pullers, and counter. And it's actually kind of why counter. It's one guard pulling and kicking out, and then the tight end backside and a nasty split wrapping for the playside backer. That's it. Now, yeah. I guess they will, they'll do some zone read stuff with Garrett Green, the backup quarterback, number six. Yeah, it's bring kind him of a in. different package whenever But, bring him I in. mean, alarm bells are going off yeah. when he comes in the game. But – they run those four run plays, and then they run RPOs off of those four, and then they just have a couple plays where they just throw it as far as they can down the field and see if their guys can go get it. Little little screen game, 
sprinkled in there. Dude, it's about as simple as an offense can be. It doesn't mean it's not effective, but man, I, as I watched him, I was like, okay, this is it. This is what they do. Well, I got bad news for him. It's, it's simple and it's not going to be effective against Oklahoma. I I think Letty Brown's going to be running his head into a wall. Uh, you know, the, the teams that have had success on Oklahoma, it's typically gap scheme stuff with multiple tight ends, big personnel where they try and out gap you and get you messed up before the snap even happens. And then multiple pullers to try and get a guy out of his spot. If they're just going to run inside zone and, and feel like, they're going to be able to, to block those guys up front good enough and the backers going to be pouring downhill and they don't do enough in the passing game to scare us out of it. Well, I, I bet we'll be in cover three almost the entire game. So it's going to be now they may get it blocked and a guy get out of his gap here or there, but I think it's going to be very difficult for Letty Brown to get rolling. Yeah. Which I, I hope is it gonna, is. Yeah. And that's going to put them in some, like not being able to block our edge guys is not going to be very fun if you're not able to to move the football running it. Yeah. And de- defensively for West Virginia, primarily you're going to see a three-man front. Now they show some four-man front, but not a ton. And their their defensive linemen, uh Dante Stills, Keem Mesidor, uh Taj Alston, they're basically all the same person. 6'3", 6'4", 280 pounds across the board. Long, strong. Mesador shouldn't be a defensive tackle playing inside, but he is. And his bend, his athleticism, it it could give OU some trouble at times in, in certain schemes. So we'll we'll see about that. But as far as what they do schematically, Ted, this is a two deep safety team. I mean, you're talking cover four, cover six, which to those of you that don't know, a lot of people call it quarter, quarter, half. That means it's cover two on one side, it's cover four on the other side of the field. And then they play just straight up cover two. They basically, and they played those three coverages about two-thirds of the time. And they are daring you to run the football. When you play that much too deep safety, you are daring the offense to run the football and be patient you keep everything in front of you and you dare the offense to just take what you're giving them. And we'll see if Lincoln Riley and Spencer Rattler and that offense, we'll see if they're that patient. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is, you know, in, in past years, when you give Oklahoma a light box, they turn your lights out. Absolutely. They turn your lights out blow guys off the ball all the way up to the third level before you even encounter a tackle uh, tackler. And, you know, we're running the ball for 250, 300 yards a game. So far this year, not been able to do that. And it's, it's hurt us. If we're not able against uh, two high looks, if we're not able to really start moving the chains and getting in some better situations down in distances and, and run them out of too high then it's going to be it's going to continue to be a long season offensively with long drives forced underneath to throw underneath and you know it's just that's the only remedy is to absolutely make them pay with the running game 
Yeah. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Now, it's not like they haven't given up big plays. They gave a bunch of big plays in the Maryland game, but they've kind of ironed out some of those kinks. So we'll see. Okay, let's get to call your shot. And this first one comes from our man, Harry Taylor, at Hype Man Harry. Harry, stop smoking. He was smoking a cigarette in front of us last week. Don't do that, Harry. It's bad for you. He said, boys, Oklahoma will will force at least two to three picks because little Daggy throws tons of picks on road. Hashtag Boomer Sooner. He he's been known to throw a pick or two. He, yeah, it's crazy. I think he only threw four all season last year, and this year I think he's already thrown three. Right, uh, two against Maryland, and then the one against Tech. Some costly ones too. Yeah. So I imagine he's probably going to clean that up a little bit. But here's the thing, man: if they're not going to be able to block him up front. He's going to be throwing under duress, and that is definitely when the interceptions come. I I would be – I'll go – I'll say this. I would be shocked if OU's defensive ends, if their edge players, don't absolutely get after both tackles. 50, the left tackle, he cannot handle bull rushes. He just can't. He, he likes showing off the footwork, but when a guy goes speed to power, it does not go well for him. Both right tackles, 52. He's not any good. 64 is a true freshman. He shouldn't even be playing. He was a highly recruited kid. Um, last name's Milam, I think. Like, But he shouldn't be out there. If Isaiah Thomas and Redmond and Benito and those guys like can't just get after him, those three dudes, I will be, I will be stunned. Maybe I'm being dramatic, but I'll be stunned, dude. With what yeah. they put on tape, I will be very, very surprised. Nebraska's tackles w- were better than these guys. Yeah, and, you know, the the thing you have to realize, too, is that they know that. They have to know that, West Virginia coaches. So there's going to be something in their game plan that you probably haven't seen that's going to try and slow our DNs down a little bit and slow that 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 edge down maybe you know uh 12 personnel getting two tight ends out there max pro something like that chipping on the edges they got to figure something out or it's going to be a long day yeah maybe some screen game early trying to get them to slow down that rush make them think about it a little bit but uh, i do not think it's going well for west virginia's tackles in this one okay nathan titus 15 on twitter says Oklahoma rushes for 250 yards, and both Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray rush for 100-plus yards. That's very possible. We talked about how important the run game is going to be if West Virginia is going to play coverage. And then by far the best one comes from Burger for President on Twitter, who says, boldest prediction, Stutzman runs onto the field, rips his sling off, spiking it to the turf. The fans in the stands jump around like it is 2008. Herbie and Fowler are left bewildered by the reaction. Teddy wipes away a single tear and gives a silent yet emphatic fist pump. Sooners roll. <laughs> uh, as much as I would love that, you may be a week early. Dang it. Maybe a week Figured early. that was the case. Dang it. Yeah. Hey, trust me. He, If it starts going bad, he it, like... He may start off in street clothes over there on the sideline, and then there's going to be this weird moment where he comes running out of the tunnel in a in a weird like practice uniform because he couldn't find his game uni. 
something weird could happen. It, they may have to restrain him at some point this year. Yeah, he uh, he's got several screws loose. I like it, like it a lot. We'll see. I think he, by the way, I think he might have responded to that tweet. Also, I'll, I'll go check. <laughs> All right, let's get to our OU West Virginia preview with our man Mike Kazaza. But first, the only place to stop when you are road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 560 locations in 41 different states, offering 24 access to clean and safe places. And Love's has given us a $25 game day gift card to give away each week. And this is all you have to do to be entered to win this week's gift card. Tweet a picture of you stopping at a Love's on your way to the OU game this weekend. And make sure you tag the podcast Twitter account and Love's Twitter account. We'll contact you if you are the winner. Pretty simple. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com and bank at First Fidelity Bank. It is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma, tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. All right, here is the man at earsports.com, Mike Kazaza. It is our pleasure to be joined by the man over at earsports.com, the 24-7 sports website covering all things West Virginia. Mike Kazaza, the best last name in the business, is in the building. What's going on, man? Uh, there's no way I'm living up to that introduction, but uh, I'll try. But thanks, man. It's doing, it's, it's doing uh, better than maybe we thought a couple weeks ago. You know, started 0-1, and, and then I don't, I don't know if you can't impress – or if you can't impress when you beat a team 66 nothing, but that kind of felt uneven. And I'm not sure everybody thought they had a ton of wind, the sales going into a game against a ranked rival like Virginia Tech. But they they looked pretty good for a while, a little shaky. But, you know, at this point, I'm not sure that they're a team that really cares for style points, just just that notch in the right column. And, you know, they're, they're two and one now. And I think probably more confident about Oklahoma than they've been in quite some time. Not to say that evens everything up or gets it close, but, you know, it's kind of like a matter of uh, narrowing the gap with Oklahoma. It's been far, far um, away in the lead before. And I think they feel like they're closer now and they have ways to make it closer. I'm not saying they'll win, but there's a certain game they got to play, and I think they are they can get there. I'm not sure it's enough, but they can get to that game. Yeah, it looks like the kind of the track record of how to keep it close with Oklahoma – has been there, and West Virginia kind of has that formula, play some good defense, try and limit possessions, keep everything in front of you. Uh, but I was going to ask you about that first game against Maryland and kind of limped out of the gate. And we've common across the country this year. Last year, no one got to practice, 
and everyone came out looking good. This year, everyone has a normal offseason. It looks like everyone got worse. It was weird. What do you think was the was the issue with, with you guys coming out of the gate against Maryland? Just uh, looking forward maybe a little bit? Uh, what, what happened there? Yeah, there were some schematic things I don't think they were sure about. Maryland has new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. And on top of that, they just played five games last year. So as you all know, you probably look at, what, three or four of the most recent games when you're playing a team. And that was their entire season. And I think that's a an encapsulated season where you change a lot of stuff in those five games because you don't have five or six more after that. It's kind of a now or never thing. So they were they were different from week to week last year, Maryland, in some regard. And that's not even good to get a beat on them because they had a new offensive and defensive coordinator. And not only that, but those guys hadn't called plays in forever. And I don't think the offensive coordinator was calling plays. That's probably Mike Loxley's job, but I'm sure he was influenced by Dan Enos. And then Brian Stewart's a defensive coordinator. He hadn't called plays since 2017. And he was on the Baylor staff last year. And Baylor has done good things against West Virginia the past two years. So maybe he had some insight into that. But I don't think that was a Baylor defense because I don't think it was Baylor's personnel. So it was it was a lot of guessing and trying to figure things out on the fly even. Um, and then I think the speed of the game got to him. Maryland's skill position talent's pretty good. Their receivers are likely NFL guys. Their quarterback, I believe I saw, is, is number one or in the top three in, in efficiency, which is you know kind of a hard stat to appreciate and understand. But if you're efficient at that position, that's probably a pretty good start, right? And, and he's getting the ball to the right people and they're getting splash plays. They're not turning it over. And, you know, maybe they didn't wow people against Illinois. They won and they're three and oh, and West Virginia's not because just a handful of plays in that first game, just kind of pop plays where, you know, a coverage breakdown in the secondary or a double move on the outside where the speed is just good enough where if you make that mistake, they run by you. Or if they catch that pass and the safety's going this way and the receiver's going that way, it's all it takes. And they just call it bad timing right moment for Maryland's offense. And, and that really did turn out to be the difference. And by the way, a uh, bunch of turnovers too. And the fact that that game was that close at that many possessions just forfeited. Um, it, it's almost like a, a misnomer on the statue. You look at the statue and like minus four in the turnovers. How was this close? Close because they were good enough on offense and they tightened up on defense. So l- looking at the Mountaineers offense, Mike, obviously everything starts with the quarterback position. Uh, Neil pretty much openly challenged Jarrett Deggie in the offseason, was pretty public about it, that he needed to get better, especially when it comes to his decision-making and pushing the ball down the field. How has he been so far this season? Because we have seen a little Garrett Green sprinkled in there for some QB run stuff. He's taken some snaps, but how do you think that Deggie's looked so far? He's answered some challenges, which is small victory, but important victory, I think. So they have played Garrett Green, who's their redshirt freshman. I want to say dual threat, but they haven't let him throw the ball. And I'm not sure why that is, because Daggy's thing is that he doesn't throw the ball very well, right? So there's a question there as to what he can do and who he is. So um, having the number two on the sideline always next to the quarterback, that's that's pressure on your starter. And when they put Green in the first game, he did things with his legs. He danced around. He moved. He got out of trouble. He got out of pressure. Got first downs. Got a touchdown. They put Diggy right back in. And that to me was interesting because it felt like they turned the hourglass upside down and said, listen, you're on the clock now. This is an FCS team. You're supposed to go out and get a touchdown. And he did. It wasn't pretty. He, uh, he airballed a, a deep ball that it should have been a touchdown, like a two-play drive. But he got them down there. He ran for a first down, like third and eight, third and nine, where he's not a runner. 
So in that moment, they made him do things, I think. And and he responded. And then they got the ball back quickly, and he let a, a field goal drive with like 30 seconds left in the half. So that was good. Um, the bad of that, though, is that he just had a miserable interception last game. And I don't know if you all saw this, but. The- it was so bad. <laughs> I don't know if he threw it with the wrong hand or what, but it's just, it's just so well, out of character. So so they call the screen, which is an interesting call by Neil there anyways, but the defensive tackle reads it perfectly, and he drops back right into where – so I know what Deggy was thinking. He's trying to touch it up over the D tackle to the receiver, but it's dead at that point. You throw it in the dirt. Any veteran quarterback is going to say, ah. Eh, or he's just going to take it, keep the clock running, and take a sack, right? He decides to just float one in there, and I was like, oh, my God. And luckily, the Mountaineers' defense were able to get a stop, man. That was – what a crazy sequence yeah. in that in that Virginia Tech game. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 kind of what they're talking about here is, is can he do the things that you need to do to manage a game? And that means not just in that moment, but against the blitz. Can he, um, you know, can he check down on stuff? Can he get out of the pocket? You know, one of the things that he does is that he doesn't move up in the pocket. He goes outside his tackles. His tackles aren't very good right now, and teams rush outside. So if he moves up in the pocket, their guard center guard is going to be the strength of their offensive line. They should be able to fortify that pocket. Tackles aren't good. Well, he kind of goes against that a bunch. And that's just a manager thing they work on with him. And that pass is bad, but that pass is interesting because they didn't have him in the game to end that drive. They put Garrett Green in because they wanted him to have that read threat where he could give it in or he could read the end and get around the corner. And he was around the corner once, and – you know, the turf got him. He slipped, and it should have been a first down. It ends up being third and one. They get a false start. Um, it backs up, and all of a sudden, Daigie's back in the game. And, and you're right, Gabe. That's the thing where it, that's got to be a pellet ball where, you know, you throw it in the ground, all the pellets pop up, or you just take the sack and you run the clock. But, you know, that's hard to do. It's easy for me and you to say here right now. In the heat of the moment, that play is called. You want to pass that ball. And the, the, the concerning part of that is, they ran that play so often with Isaiah Esdale that whenever number nine came on the field, Tech shouted out, screen, tunnel. They knew it was coming. And when he came out, they shouted out, screen, tunnel. And he said that after the game, and a screen came, and it was a tunnel, and they were right there for it. And, and what's what's interesting about that play is uh, Waller is the cornerback for Virginia Tech. He's really good. He's got three picks already this year. He's a ball hawk. He scores on that play. Like, they had it all walled off, and he, he cuts inside to outside because he knows it's around the corner. And the receiver, Bryce Ford Wheaton, comes up and just blasts that dude, like knocks him sideways. He hits him so hard that he takes out Letty Brown on the play. I think Letty Brown's going to play. I'm not sure he's in concussion protocol, but it was that hard of a hit where, like, number four went flying. And that just seemed like, to me watching it, it just seemed like one of those things where that could have been a heck of a thing. But at that moment, bang, everybody just took their frustrations and their angst out just to get off the field and see if their defense could do something. Because at that point, their defense was the best chance of them winning the game, which which kind of leads to the story for Saturday, I think, too. How about Letty Brown? Uh, man, it, it's been slow going. Now he popped the 80-yarder against Virginia Tech, and that's where the bulk of his yards have come so far. Uh, slow start against Maryland. Uh, really didn't even get rolling in week two. Um, what's What's been the issue there so far after such a great year last year? Gabe, how many times have you watched that 80-yard touchdown run with the center pulling up and blocking two guys in the third level there? I like the the center. He's, he's short and squatty. What, Frazier? short and squatty probably squats about 600 pounds if i had to guess but he he does a good job for him i I mean like he's a solid little kind of short levers but he's a solid player he is you you mentioned it mike he is much better 
than the tackles up. Brandon Yates, that dude cannot handle speed to power if his life depended on it. And y'all don't have a right tackle. You don't have one that should be starting on a big in a Big 12 conference game. Neither of those right tackles should be starting. No, no. And now one of them's a like a would have been a five star probably, but they had a really short season here. He's a four star. He's a kid that to be frank, shouldn't be at West Virginia. And they worked hard and they got him here. I mean, he's he's a top, you know, I don't know, 200 guy in the country. He, he kind of looks like a baby deer out there right now, though. It's hard. It's hard. And they played two really good defensive lines, and Oklahoma's no slouch either. I mean, that's the best they're going to see so far. But, um, Teddy, to get back to your question, he's, he's as good as his quality is in sync with his quantity. And he can hit 80-yard runs, sure, you're asking him to hit Hail Marys every time if you give him seven, eight handoffs a game or a half, right? He needs to be like 25 touches, 28 touches. And that's that's hard for them to get to sometimes because this, they don't get a lot of snaps. They don't extend drives. They want to establish the pass and do things that now they want to get Garrett Green in, which takes, you know, if he's playing eight snaps, he's probably going to run six of them. And that's six times you can't hand it off to Letty Brown. So I think it's a fun thing to watch what they're going to do. Um, one thing I would watch, and it, and it goes to that initial play we're talking about, they had a tight end in the game. Michael Lachlan, he did not play the first two games, but they brought him in and they double motioned him and they motioned him from right to left and then left out wide again. And it pulled the safety in the middle linebacker out. And that was the design to get the middle linebacker out of there. And the middle linebacker goofed up. He should have stayed in because they had two in the box. It turned into a four, one box. And then Frazier to sheds and takes the middle linebacker. And then the other linebacker coming back in the play, Frazier two for ones it and pushes his guy out into the linebacker. And that's, a huge alley for Lady Brown. They had that play dialed up. They worked on it all week in practice. They thought it would work. They went to it second play of the game and it worked. They went back to it a couple times. And I think they noticed they had something. They're going to keep it. Watch their tight ends. They played 12 personnel. They didn't have two tight ends the first two games. Um, they can play one at a time. They can play two at a time. They can put a Lachlan and Banks pretty much anywhere. TJ Banks is another one who's, who's pretty good. He's not a Lachlan. He's not a pass catcher, but he's a blocker. Um, I think that's something to watch at Lady Brown. He did not have that the first two games. So that's a difference now. He was better in the third game. He had 80 yards on one run, but I think his other 16 or 17 carries went for about 80 yards as well against a good defense. They got caught once. They recovered and they didn't get hit that way again. But a lot of 12 personnel, um, they're not good running the ball in 10 personnel. A lot of teams aren't. But they couldn't run 12. They couldn't run a lot of 11 personnel when they had just one tight end. Now they have two. They can get more in their comfort zone now, which is 11, sometimes 12 personnel. You can get under center when you have a tight end you could put on the line. I think they're adding to their package, and, and certainly Letty Brown's better than he was in the first two games. He's more like the guy you saw in the third game. I like Sean Ryan. Winston Wright clearly got speed. Sam James appears to be actually catching the football this nope. year, but Bryce Ford Wheaton seems like the guy to me. Mike, I feel like size, speed, it, it seems like the guy wearing zero is is Daggy's favorite guy. If you're playing flag football and you're picking teams, you guys are fighting over who gets zero first. You know, you Teddy, you gave, I don't know, but you're trying to figure out who gets him. Are we rock rock, paper, scissors? Who gets zero? Because he looks like that guy. He looks like your number one X or Z receiver. Um his his problem too had been catching the ball. Um, he's a pretty quiet player too. You know, I think he had, he's had one catch the past two games, but one's a 29 yard touchdown catch where Daigie, you know, second drive of the game sees an opening. You know, he sees Wheaton wiggle outside the cornerbacks inside the safety's far away. 
put it in a spot and let your guy go get it, and he did it. But sometimes he struggles to get contested catches. They were not good at contested catches last year. Everybody looks at the drops. I think they dropped. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but 27 of Diggy's passes last year. It's a huge number, right? Ten-game season, you're talking three balls a game that are on the ground that should be you know, first down, sometimes touchdowns. But 50-50 balls, they weren't good at either. And Ford Wheaton's one of those guys who's got a bag more than he doesn't, and he's had some issues with that this year. So um, quiet numbers so far, been productive when he's been targeted, just hasn't been targeted a lot. I think the reason is they really like Winston Wright, although he mysteriously got, I think, one touch last week. Sam James has been really good again, too. He looks like that guy who, in 2019, you thought was going to be an all-conference player again. He's confident. He's playing the slot, which may be better for him. They can use him outside. Um, he's got something going now where he's confident again, and he remembers it. Wright's a really good – I don't want to say decoy, but if we're talking about how you get four week and going, those two inside guys take a lot of attention. You can't double everybody. You can't keep one safety over top of all three of them. Just don't know they like to push the ball vertically right now. It's not something Daggy does very well, and they don't have a ton of deep threats on the outside. Their deep plays kind of come from Wright and James right now. Wheaton can do it. just has to happen more often. How about the defense? Um, you know, a, another good group. Defensive line is is stout. Bartlett coming off of that great game. Still have a stills there. It seems like they've been playing for eight years there now. But uh, what's made this group so good this year? It's kind of surprising, too, because they lost very good players from all three levels. Jeffrey Pooler was a starter for them, transferred. Um, Tony Fields, NFL. Darius Stills, NFL. Tyke Smith is that, they call him a spear, which is that hybrid, you know, a little bit of linebacker, a lot of safety, a little bit of cornerback, transferred. Uh, Drayshawn Miller, transferred, cornerback. So defensive line, linebacker, corner, safety, they lost guys that were starters. So you look at this offense, defense that's supposed to be one of the best in the country last year. They're going to have nine guys back starting. They don't, but they plug it in. And it's because their defensive line has gotten better. Um, Dante still is very good, has gotten better and better and better. Uh, Akeem Mesador looks like a pro right now. Um, number 90, he's not a nose tackle, but he's playing like defensive tackle right in the middle of an odd front. He's too athletic and too strong and too fast for people to handle. He's a mismatch for guards and centers. And then outside, they have Taj Austin back, who is you know, a pretty decorated recruit who went to East Carolina got hurt, ended up going to junior college, played really well, was an All-American, and has been hurt the last two years. He's finally back in the field, and you watch him. He's six foot four, and he's a lot of arms and legs and with a really good motor. And if you put Stills and Mesador and Austin together, that makes life easier for Bartlett, for Josh Chandler-Samito, for they kind of have a tandem at Will linebacker with Dixon and extra low, Lance Dixon extra low. Um, those guys can get through holes and get through gaps now. And I think that was a concern before when you lose Darius Stills, a guy who occupied two, sometimes three people, you know, who's going to open gaps. And you're seeing that now. And one thing they haven't done great before, they haven't been like a really good, um, I guess what you would call like C gap team getting pressure around the tackles. Bartlett does that. He's a guy who like dips and drives and gets around guys. And what happened against Virginia tech is they lost their right tackle they brought in a guy who has been injured. I think he's a seventh-year senior, believe it or not. There's like eight of them in the country. He's one of them. It's a really good story, really bad matchup. He couldn't handle Bartlett or Cowan. They moved their center out to right tackle. Oh, God. A center has no chance against Jerry Bartlett. I'm sorry, Gabe, but that's just not going to happen. Like you're not A center is not going to check Jerry Bartlett. And Bartlett went to the defensive coordinator and said, this guy can't handle me. Let me speed rush him. So they stopped the twists. They stopped the stunts. And they just went around the corner, and they got there too. And I think that's interesting because – 
Oklahoma's offensive line is really good every year. It hasn't hit that stride yet. And I know that they haven't had a lot of sacks. I know they, I think what three and, and one of them is on the backup quarterback. Is that right? So just two. And if you watch Rattler, he moves around and, and he doesn't really seem like he's faced too much. And sometimes I think he likes to get in trouble in order to get out of trouble. I think that's going to be different because the defensive line for West Virginia is just relentless. They don't stop. They'll, they'll make plays just by trying to make the plays. They'll run you into a cornerback who comes in or a safety who comes into the play. They'll get you to reverse field and here comes the linebacker because those three up front just don't stop. Looking at the secondary, uh, you mentioned some of the big plays that they gave up in the Maryland game significantly reduced that over mm -hmm. the next two weeks. Really Virginia tech had, one big play in the passing game. Now it was a touchdown, but it was a really nice contested catch where a guy is basically jumping over a guy and grabbing it off his back. I mean, it was a great play. So how do you feel they're playing in the back end coming in this game? Better. They start a, a sophomore, actually a redshirt freshman out of one corner spot, uh, Daryl Porter, who has pedigree. Like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but his high school is, is great. That's Patrick Certain and Tyson Campbell's high school. He was their understudy for a couple of years. His dad played in the NFL. He's learning from Patrick Certain senior. That's a big time school. And he waited and he watched and he learned. And when he got to play as a senior, he was like all Dade County, which if you hear all County, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to people. If you're all Dade County in your one year playing high school football, that's, that's pretty good. Right. And he came in last year and can't made a ton of plays. And then, kind of slowed down a little bit and got introduced to college. Well, he did the same thing this year, but he hasn't slowed down. He's been good. He sticks his nose in there. He plays. Uh, their other corner is really quiet. It's Nick Troy Fortune, who's just good. Um, he's solid. You don't hear his number a lot or his name a lot, but that's that's fine for a cornerback, right? If you know the corner's names, uh, that's good if you're the opponent. It's not great if you're the fan of the team, right? And their safeties are, are their safeties are a strong point. Uh, Alonzo Adai is probably about as good as it gets at free safety in the conference. Just an instinctive player whose season goes. Sean Mahone's been probably not as good as he has been. He plays that strong safety spot. He gets put into coverage a lot. That long touchdown you're talking about, he just got back-shouldered on a, on a seam route where the quarterback saw the back of his jersey and said, I'll give my guy a chance, and he made a good play. I mean, that happens sometimes when you're on one-on-ones like that. The first couple games, the first game, there was some confusion in particular between Porter and Mahone, and that's the first time those guys have been out there live. It hasn't happened since then. Now, I think if you're Oklahoma, you make them think. You, you give them challenges. You try to actually make those two communicate on the road in a loud stadium and see if they can somehow uncross the signals that get crossed against Maryland. Can they handle that now on the fly in, in the, in like a, that live scenario? I'd really like to see that if I was Oklahoma, I would certainly press that button. Um, but it dies very good. And then Scotty Young's that spear. He took over for Tyke Smith and, and he can do some things that are different than Smith. He's better in coverage. He's good against the run, but um, the one player that, hasn't been mentioned but you're, you're going to notice is number three jackie matthews who comes in you know he's their third corner but he plays nickel he plays spear he plays deep safety he's a junior college kid from two years ago who's finally getting his his act together uh they blitz him he's really good against the run and because of that now they'll take a linebacker off the field and they can play him in run plays too like they don't worry about putting him in like second and four first and ten because he's he's good enough to act like a linebacker to play like a spear um, he kind of is in like a will position in some defensive packages. And that's kind of unusual for a guy who's a, a cornerback, really. So I think they're finding their way. They're getting experience for some guys, and they're learning more about players like Matthews. How about the backers? Um, gosh, with Fields and – well, I'm not drawing a blank. David, um, he was there a couple of years Long. ago. David Long. Long. 
Oh, he was so good. He was the most underrated defensive player in the Big 12 in a while. They always seem to get good backers. How's this year's crew uh, looking so far? A little different. Bartlett's game last game is, I don't want to say it's a little bit of fool's goal, but I kind of described the scenario for him where that's probably not going to happen again. They're not going to have a center playing tackle. So um, that was good. It happened, and he took advantage of it, and he can do that. Um, he doesn't start, though. He doesn't play most of the snaps. That may change, but they use Vandarius Cowan a lot. He's like 6'4", 235, who can really run. He just hasn't been very productive. But that bandit spot for them is like a wrecking ball. That's been like the defensive player of the year, first-team all-conference guy for them at Troy in the past. Hasn't quite clicked here. They've been snake bit with some injuries and some inexperience, but this is the first time they've really had two guys healthy and experienced. So it's it's coming along there. Their middle linebacker is Josh Chandler Samito, who who plays every snap. He doesn't come off the field. He's he's like a, an every down guy. He's not as fast as Fields. I don't think he's as like instinctual or as great in coverage, but he's more plugged into the defense where not to his detriment, but Tony Fields came in like the first week of practice last year and became the newcomer of the year on defense in the Big 12, despite not knowing what the heck he was doing sometimes. Um, he was just that good. And he, I think like two thirds of his tackles were assisted tackles last year because he just knew how to get to the ball and make plays. They don't have that, but they compensate because other guys can. And their will linebacker, like I said, they take him off the field sometimes. They rotate between two different players, but they're both athletic. Uh, Lance Dixon's like a four-star guy from Penn State who transferred here and, and is finding his way, but he's athletic and big and can run. And the starter or the on and off starter is Xtree Lowe, who used to be a defensive back and was a, a pretty highly regarded you know corner safety guy coming out. So he has that ability to run and move and play coverage, which is kind of what that position does. Um, they're not as good as long or fields. I get that, but I think in some time you might think that their group of three based on the contributions of like five guys, this could be maybe one of their stronger linebacker groups in a while. And when you put that defensive line in front of them, they're better. And when you put that secondary behind them, they don't have to be quite as good. And that's a good situation. So Ted, they, they called their rush backer bandit, right? And Cowan is, he went to Bama and he looks like he went to Bama. I mean, six, four, two forty-five, rocked up off the edge, but they'll play him at inside backer like a lot. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very, it's very interesting to see how they kind of move those guys around. Mike, you, you making the trip to Norman? You gonna, we're going to see on Saturday. I wish man. No, we got a really, we got a really good Oklahoma team down there. So I'm tagging them in there. They'll, uh, they'll uh, get all my info and I'll, I'll have my couch couch cushion uh, expertise here, as I say. Well, I miss that though. Like, there's not a whole lot. Like, the Big East road trips, this is so old now, I forget now, but the Big East road trips are fun and easy. Like, there's nothing wrong with a Saturday in South Florida. Um, but even like some of the, the shorter car rides to like Cincinnati were great. There's no car rides in the Big 12, but I don't miss the airport experiences or some of them. But Oklahoma City to Norman's pretty tolerable, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, Dallas, it's not like Dallas to Waco. Or, uh, or or Dallas to sometimes Baylor. You know, those are tough trips sometimes. So I kind of missed that one there. And easy parking, that's a media thing. You know, who cares? But, like, parking's right by the stadium, easy to get in. You know where the media gate is. Uh, I feel like there was a good pregame spread there. I, I kind of missed that one for sure. Always been a good game, too. Like, I know that the scores sometimes get lopsided, but those have been fun games. And I think one of my favorites, believe it or not, was that 16-7 that to 7 game in 2013. Yeah, 13. Yeah, which is a weird game, but like you look at all the other ones. Yeah, like, weird. I played in it. It yeah, sure was yeah. weird. Yeah. Dave, you played in the super high scoring game and then next year the super low scoring game. Yes. I believe what forty nine to fifty in On two point play. The two point conversion play, right? 
It was uh, last second, last second to old Kenny Stills to win the game. But yeah, yeah, we thought it was too quick though. Yeah, the way Tavon Austin was going that night. Gosh, <laughs> let's let's not go down that rabbit hole, boys. Mike, you're the man. We yeah. appreciate the time. Please go check all of his stuff out at earsports.com. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. Man, Mike knows that squad. Full breakdown. Uh, every single position, every single player, a uh, little bit of X's and O's in there, too. I thought what he said that West Virginia, you mentioned 12 personnel being something that they could utilize. Now they've got a couple of tight ends they feel good about. I, I wonder if that's something that we see a little more of, right? Some of that 12, yeah. some of that uh, those pin-pull schemes that have worked. Tulane used it. Nebraska used it. We'll, we'll see, but I, I thought that was very interesting. No, it is, and that's they're going to have to deal with our edge somehow, either uh, running game or protection-wise, and, and that's a good way to do it right there. You know what pisses me off is when we're recording this podcast and my Apple Watch tells me to stand, it's like, no, I don't want to stand. <laughs> I'm recording a podcast, Apple Watch. Do you, <sighs> do, you pretty, do you trust that thing? Well, like if it tells you to do something, is that, does it work? No, I, I use it I'm, for the time. That's about yeah. it. But you it does have a bunch of cool like features that a lot of people use. I do like the heart rate thing, though. It's kind of fun. Like, ooh, my heart rate's super low. Look at me. Look at how in shape I am. Look how rested I am. Does it, do you feel like it gives you a really good reading? I have no idea, Ted. No clue. Okay. But I, I don't use it like a lot of people use it. I should, I should pay more attention to it, but I don't. I, here's what's crazy. Listen to this. My this wife, segment's brought to you by Apple Watch. My wife, and it's not just my wife, I've heard of other people that do this, like go to the gym and I don't think my wife leaves the gym, but some people like if they go to the gym and forget their Fitbit or their watch that tracks their workout, they're like, oh, screw it. I'm going home. What? Like If they can't prove it on their watch, they don't even do it. <sighs> That's weird. I know some people like they share their results stuff. Yeah. Like, and, and the whoop does that stuff also. I don't know. That's too much, man. I know I'm working out. I, I work out of my house. I, I got no excuse. I'm going to do it. I don't I, care if I'm I wearing want the watch to get a notification that says, Ooh, Gabe got his steps in today. I don't know if I got my steps in. I'm sure I did though. Lots of steps, Ted. Okay. We, I don't know how we ended up there, <laughs> but do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices through Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And guys, it's still warm outside, baby, and you know what that means. It's hard seltzer season. And there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Sonic Hard Seltzer from Coupe Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. You can buy 12 packs of the iconic Sonic drive-in flavors like Cherry Limeade and Ocean Water. 
or you can grab a citrus variety pack or a tropical variety pack. Find it at your local grocery store, convenience store, and liquor stores, Sonic Hard Seltzer. Let's go. National College Football Roundup. I picked three games. Really like three games. Ted, first one. Number 25, Kansas State. Look at the Wildcats slipping in. Number 25, Kansas State at Oklahoma State. Two teams coming off nice wins and two offenses that by all indications are going to want to run the football and then run it some more. And I I think we're going to see a whole lot of Jalen Warren for the Cowboys in this football game and a whole lot of Deuce Vaughn for the Wildcats. And Joe Irvin, this little scat back guy they got now, he got some wiggle to him as well. And they're going to use Will Howard, big dude. They're going to use him in the running game as well. So I think this is going to be a low-scoring affair. But talk to Mike Gundy this week, and they're hoping they get some of those receivers back that missed the Boise State game. So maybe we see Spencer Sanders throw it around a little more. Now, I still don't trust Mr. Sanders. I don't. I don't trust him. But I trust Will Howard throwing the football even less. So it, it is unfortunate that they announced this week, Trey Sterling, that's safety for Oklahoma State, going to be out for the season. That's a, that's a big blow for them. But I still, out of every unit in this game, I still trust Oklahoma State's defense the most. I think it's going to be the difference in the game. I think it may actually be a good atmosphere. And Stillwater, Gundy talked about, hey, maybe we should reduce beer prices. <laughs> of course, in true Gundy fashion, it was great. But it's it, it's a weird matchup. But I, I just – I like Oklahoma State at home in this one. Yeah, it's hard to have a real feel for this. Uh, if Skylar Thompson's playing for Kansas State, I don't think it's – well, it may be a close game score-wise, but it wouldn't be a, a tough decision for me to take Kansas State. He makes that much of a difference for him. I like the running game, man. Deuce Vaughn is doing some really good things for him. O-line and, is playing well. Yeah, I think and, there's not no line in the Big 12 playing better than Kansas State's right now. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things is since they know they've got to limit passing and they've got to be more expansive in the run game, they're going to add a lot of stuff and they're going to add a lot of different looks and they're going to throw different personnel at you and different formations at you, and that's going to be tough, especially if you're losing a safety to try and adjust to some of the things that they're going to do. We've seen that ourselves playing them. I, it's, I just can't trust Oklahoma State right now. I, you know, maybe I'm being too hard on them. Um, I just feel like Kansas State is too smart of a team, uh, detail-oriented, win special teams, uh, play good, solid defense. Don't kill yourself with turnovers on offense, and you'll have a chance in the end. That's going to be the key. Will Howard, if they do fall behind or if it you know, does get put on his arm at some point, can he be efficient with the football and not turn it over? What was he, like 7 of 10 against Nevada, something like that? Only threw the ball 10 times. So um, that, I think that's going to really tell the story. Yeah, I think Howard threw it 10 times against Nevada and Sanders threw it 13 times against Boise. We may have ourselves like a two-hour and 15-minute football game. And if you haven't seen Kansas State this year and like you're a football person, prepare yourselves. They now play a three-man front on defense. 
it is they have played they have been a predominantly four man front my entire lifetime when i was a kid watching games when i was playing when i've been covering them since i've been done playing they run pretty much an ex- exclusively a three man front and it's been pretty effective for them and i don't like it one bit ted it it creeps me out <laughs> it's so weird it's like there's supposed to be four guys in purple on the line that's how it works in manhattan and now they only have three it, Confuses me. It was our one link to the past, and it's gone now. Nobody. Gone forever. Dang it. Dang it. Brutal. All right. Next game. Number 12, Notre Dame at, and I'm doing air quotes, they're at number 18, Wisconsin. That game is at Soldier Field. So a fun fact. I expect, now, Wisconsin's got a great fan base. They'll travel well. I expect this to be a pro-Notre Dame crowd because, fun fact, when you go on an official visit to Notre Dame, they fly you into Chicago and pick you up in a limo. Pretty oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah, it felt yeah. pretty cool. It's not bad. What's it like? Forty-five minutes or so. Yeah. Well, it's not it depends on traffic. God. Yeah. Um, whenever you guys played up there, I stayed in. We stayed in Chicago. Yeah. And drove so, down the day of the game. It'll be interesting to see how the like the the makeup of the crowd is, but I would I would assume it's going to be pro Notre Dame. I could be wrong. But although Notre Dame is 3-0, they certainly they haven't impressed anyone with their wins over Florida State, Toledo, and, and Purdue. I guess if you're going to say, oh, they look decent against Purdue. Remember, when they beat Florida State on the road, that's when people thought Florida State might be good or getting better. And, oh, my gosh, it has gone poorly since then for the Knolls. So with Notre Dame, you've got Kyron Williams still, who's a hell of a player at running back. That that running game just hasn't looked like we're used to seeing it. And the offensive line play just hasn't clicked for them yet. And it's weird because they, they've been producing so many great linemen, but only averaging 105 yards rushing a game, which and that's against below average competition. So a little alarming there for the Irish. Meanwhile, you've got Wisconsin's defense. It, I mean, they're legit. Now, I know they haven't played a lot of games, but they did their part in that opener against Penn State. I mean, they look great. And that loss all of a sudden is looking better with Penn State knocking off Auburn. So you look at Wisconsin's defense giving up 33 yards rushing a game. I did not misspeak. 33 rushing yards per game against the Wisconsin defense. Jack Cohn clearly going to be extra motivated to get a win against his former team. But I, while I do trust Cohn more than I trust Graham Mertz, I, I just see Wisconsin winning this game kind of with the simplest formula in football, and that is run the ball and stop the run. They're going to continue to hand it to Ches Malusi Malusi. I still don't know how to say that guy's name. I've heard it said 10 different ways. But it seems like Wisconsin – I trust them more on the offensive line and defensive line right now, more than Notre Dame. I'm in a weird spot with this game. Um, I like Wisconsin. I like, I like Notre Dame. Um, I'm kind with the way things have gone so far this year. I'm kind of hoping Cincy makes a run and really fights for that uh, playoff spot for a group of five team. And they kind of need Notre Dame to win this game. 
Like that would go a long way. If Notre Dame beat Wisconsin, was a top 10 team, whether 12 right now, if, if they were able to be top 10 and Cincinnati, cause I think Cincinnati would beat them. Uh, that would be, that would be really good. And they'd be, you know, they'd have a really good shot at making it from that point on, but it's hard to argue against 33 yards a game in the, in the rushing and Notre Dame, if they can't get the run going, I like Jack Cohn. I think he's a good solid player, but I'm sorry. Uh, he's going to need some good down and distances to have success against a defense like that. And if you can't run the ball, it's going to be a tough day. Probably uh, Lena Wisconsin in this one. Yeah. And uh, the weird thing about it is, Notre Dame's a more talented team, right? You're, we're seeing all the guys they're putting in the NFL. So I was interested. So I went and looked at the 24-7 sports composite. They do the talent composite every year. And Notre Dame, according to the recruiting rankings, right, is the 12th most talented team in college football. Wisconsin is the 21st most talented team in college football. But Wisconsin has 16 four-stars. Notre Dame's got 44. Wow. So it's like from a talent talent perspective, Notre Dame should win the game. But just with what we've seen this year, I just think Wisconsin's playing better football and kind of know they kind of know who they are as a team right now. Whereas yeah. Notre Dame, it seems like they're trying to figure some stuff out, man. Yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin hasn't really ever gone through much of an identity crisis. You know, they've kind of, you know, <laughs> should we switch to the air raid? No, no one's ever said that at Wisconsin. They've, they've kind of known what they're going to be. Notre Dame has played around with some things offensively, um, but I don't know. I this is like an all-time line of scrimmage game. Um, you know, hopefully no- Notre Dame's offensive line gets back up to par with where they've been, but this should be a fun one. But yeah, I'm going to roll with Chez and Wisconsin. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that game being at Soldier Field. <sighs> I think it's the dumbest thing ever. Okay. I hate, I hate it. neutral site college football games. I, okay, I'll say this. I hate neutral site college football games that are at NFL stadiums. Well, I hate neutral site college football games that haven't always been a neutral site game. Like we've got the Cotton Bowl, everyone knows that. What uh, Florida Georgia is a neutral site, right? They've but, always oh, done that. Oh, okay, so follow me on this because I was talking to somebody about this earlier today. They're like, "Well, why don't you like them at NFL stadiums and you like OU Texas?" And the answer is easy. It's the atmosphere, man. OU Texas, the atmosphere is nuts. It's in the middle of a state fair. You're walking around. There's thousands and thousands of people. There's OU fans. There's Texas fans. Then there's the weirdos that showed up to the fair that day, somehow not knowing that football game is happening. And it's just chaos. And there's so much to look at. There's the sounds, the smells, everything. Like the best part about college football. And they've done it for a hundred years. Yes. And the, the, the tradition of it, but. When it's at an NFL stadium, you're just sitting in a big parking lot. That's what you're doing. You're sitting in a giant concrete a parking lot. Sterile environment. Like that the best thing commercialized. Yeah. The best thing about college football games is the energy on campus. I firmly but the best thing is just that 
buzz a college football campus has when it's when it's game day like the build up to the game the tailgating like the scenes you got people walking around going oh yeah this is where i want to go school then you've got all the old people guys telling stories like oh yeah that's back back in the day that's when i that's where i met your mom like there's 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 these memories that people are reliving there's these memories that people are hoping to create there's tailgating there's everything going on around this one event well yeah and everyone's got like tennessee does their their pregame thing and virginia tech and clemson and everyone's yeah, there's no got their walk yeah when you're playing their, in the nfl stadium yeah you the buses pull up under the stadium the whole thing sucks uh it's it's commercialized it's stripped of any atmosphere and intensity and yeah i i hate it i think Neutral. If I could kill one thing in college football, well, I, I, it's hard to do just one, but neutral sites would definitely be one of those. That all being said, Joe Castiglione, if you're listening and you would like to schedule a neutral site at that Raiders stadium in Vegas, I don't think Teddy and I are going to complain. Now, here's the thing. If we're playing like... I don't know. Does UNLV even count as a neutral site? No, or... we're not playing them there. Even though Iowa State just did it. We ain't doing that. It's got to be like Oregon or USC or one of the like, let's play a big boy there if we're going to do it. Yeah, play a big, like USC I, or fine. I got, or even UCLA. I've seen the Rose Bowl whenever UCLA is there. It sucks. Okay, let's play them in, in Vegas. Okay, I got no. That'd be awesome. No problems with that. Stanford. We'll play Stanford in Okay, let's not be Vegas. ridiculous. <laughs> When they're good, if they're ever good again. I'm finding all the math nerds from Stanford, and I'm saying, hey, I'm coming to the casinos with you, boys. Tell me what to do. I, w- I would like to see – I've never been to Washington, never been to Oregon, so I'd actually like to see those places. Yeah, no, I – yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I am all in on games on campus. All in. So let's talk about another game that's at a neutral side NFL stadium. <laughs> Number seven, Texas A&M. Taking on number 16, Arkansas. Look at Arkansas up to number yeah. 16. Two three and O teams. And Ted, this game has defensive battle written all over it. Zach Kelzada has taken over a quarterback for the Aggies for the injured Haynes King. And he has been okay. Uh, have to imagine that AM is going to lean on that running game. We saw what the Arkansas running game can do. We, we saw that against Texas with Traylon Smith. But, however, you, you've got K.J. Jefferson, the big QB who can add to the run game. He's got that mobility. He adds the QB run element to things. But they do have a problem. They have a few O-linemen out, it sounds like. So that line that bludgeoned Texas's defensive line is not going to be intact for this football game it sounds like so that that sets some alarm bells off for me so with if they don't have a couple of those guys play that defensive front from a&m is still legit man the marvin leal Jaden Peavy, like those guys are big physical pros i just think that a&m they, they got more weapons offensively with Isaiah Spiller, Anaya Smith, and the the Watermeyer kid at tight end. I, I just think that 
those guys are going to make a few more plays than Arkansas's guys. I think A&M, just a more talented team. And while I love what's going on at Arkansas with Sam Pittman, I love the toughness. I love the yes, sir thing he's got going. That's awesome. But I just, I don't think they can get this one done. Really? Yeah. I, 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 I Listen, I wanted to pick them, but I heard Pittman talking about it on part of my take. They interviewed him. And he did not, it did not sound like a, a couple of his O linemen were going to play. And I was like, hmm, I know what Texas AM's got along the defensive line. You got backups playing against those dudes. Uh, not a good yeah. situation. That's not a good situation. But like KJ I, Jefferson's going to win the game with his arm. Uh, I don't think he's going to have to. I think it's, it's going to be a low scoring game. Agreed. Uh, a&M offensively really struggling. I think Arkansas's defense is going to play them really tough. Um, I don't know. I I don't have a whole lot to go on, especially with Arkansas's offensive line being out. I just feel like it's kind of their time. I feel like A&M is a little overrated. I, I think this Arkansas team is kind of angry. They've been beaten up for a long time in this conference, man. They have. And they finally got a good, solid football team. And I feel like they're taking it out on some people. I don't have a lot of solid backing to it, but I just like Arkansas. Maybe it's maybe it's some disdain for A&M a little bit. I do what? think that they're the most you overrated You don't like A&M? What? It's, it's, I guess I don't have much of a problem with them, but I think they're w- way overrated. Vastly overrated right now. At what, number seven? Give me a break. No way. Although I, I will say it does feel like there's a lot of teams starting off a little slow this year, but A&M, no quarterback. At number seven, sorry. You hear that, Calzada? Teddy doesn't believe in you. I do, I guess. All right, let's get to wet the beak. But first, are you unhappy with the service around your pool? Are you not pleased with your patio? Soft Rock specializes in installing safe rubber surfacing for pools, patios, gym floors, and other outdoor spaces. Soft Rock's rubber safety surfacing provides a long-lasting surface that is impact and slip resistant, fully customizable, and virtually indestructible. Local business owners Heidi and Cody Clark are avid OU fans that are driven to help you with all of your pool and patio surfacing needs. Visit softrock.com slash OKC. That's S-O-F-T-R-O-C.com slash OKC for more information. The Clarks also own the Driveway Company. The Driveway Company has tailored solutions to eliminate all of your driveway problems. They can repair cracks, clean, and seal your rotting grass-filled joints to prevent water damage, ultimately saving you thousands of dollars in future repairs. Visit the Driveway Company slash OKC for all of your driveway repair needs. Learn more about SoftRock and the Driveway Company by visiting their Facebook and Instagram pages or by calling 405-294-9834. And OU Texas Weekend is just around the corner. And if you are looking for events, hotels, or transportation, the OU Club of Dallas has you covered. Visit OUClubOfDallas.com for all the details. The home for Sooner fans is the Renaissance Addison with rooms priced at only $187 per night. It's also the site for the Beat Texas Pep Rally on Friday night with exclusive appearances by the Pride of Oklahoma Marching Band, OU Cheer Squads, Boomer and Sooner, and more. On Saturday, you can ride in style with police-escorted buses to the game. That is big time. The OU Club of Dallas has been the go-to source for the Beat Texas Weekend since the 1950s, and proceeds from the weekend fund OU scholarships. 
Check out OUClubofDallas.com before these events sell out. Wet the beak, Ted. Kyler and the Cardinals, there's a couple good games, but we, we got Kyler and the Cardinals on the road against Jacksonville, uh, the Baltimore Sooners, I mean Ravens, on the road in Detroit. You would assume that they're going to be able to get that win. Chargers at the Chiefs, that's certainly one that's going to be a lot of fun with the way that Herbert and Mahomes are playing. Uh, that, that could be, maybe could be the most interesting game, but I think there's one that's even more interesting. Chicago Bears at Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are a seven-point favorite currently. Now, it's got Oklahoma's adopted NFL team, the Cleveland Browns, in it. So, of course, we're interested. And they're looking solid. Man, Baker Mayfield gave us all a scare with the shoulder. Hey, don't need to make that tackle, Baker. It's not what they pay you for. Keep, Keep those shoulders in tight if you throw an interception. But he's fine. Sounds like the shoulder's still attached, but Nick Chubb and that running game for the Browns is rolling. But the reason this game is so interesting and fun, Andy Dalton ruled out. Justin Fields will be making his first start as an NFL quarterback, as a Chicago Bear. Now, we saw him a little bit against the Bengals, but this is quite the situation for Fields to have to walk into Ted on the road against a really good team in his first start. Yeah, it's going to be brutal. Um, I, I, I think the Browns have probably the best roster in the NFL. It's, it's crazy good. And I guess Odell Beckham Jr. is back now, expected to be fully operational. So, um, yeah, I think Cleveland is, what is it, seven points? I think they're going to stomp them. I really do. Completely and, agree. Fields is going to figure out what it's like running from Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. Can you imagine walking to the line of scrimmage in your first start and looking at those two animals on, on each end? That's crazy. Well, at least that crowd will be quiet so that they won't have to use silent counts. So his tackles will have some good timing on their sets. Oh, my gosh. They're going to try to kill him, man. Yeah. It's going to be brutal. Yeah, I think Cleveland gets it rolling. Um, yeah, Chubb, that running game is legit, and it's it's starting to get its rhythm too, starting to build some steam. The, the weird thing about the Bears right now, and I know everyone's paying attention to Justin Fields, and that's just how it works in the NFL when a rookie quarterback's going to be out there for the first time as a starter, but their defense, like that's supposed to be the strength, right? That's supposed to give them a chance each week, and they haven't looked very good first couple games right and they still have all the dudes right Khalil Mack Robert Quinn I mean I, I guess Roquan, Roquan. Is, uh, has been playing pretty well had the pick six but that's crazy that he's this is his fourth year that's not NFL it seems, seems like, like he was playing that Rose Bowl yesterday yeah, man I know but they have not and it maybe it has a lot to do with the offense not really scoring points moving the football putting them in bad spots but they they haven't played very well defensively, in my opinion. So I, I kind of think Baker and the Browns are going to get after them a little bit also. So yeah, it's not just fields. I, I agree. And uh, it's tough when you don't get any, any you know, points from your offense, any sustained drives from your offense, and you got a team that's just relentless running the football at you. It's a tough day, man. Should be fun. Browns minus seven. Definitely. 
All right, let's get to winners and losers of the week. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Well, I was, <laughs> I wanted to say it there, and I forgot we had that game in our lineup, but I got to go with the winner of the week is Andy Dalton. Are you kidding me? Uh, the knee injury, and you can put Justin Fields out there, save some face, not have to go out there and get yanked for the, uh, for the young kid. It's a great way to make the natural transition that everyone knew was coming anyways, right? I, that is, that's one way of looking at it. Now, I would assume that Andy Dalton's got a different view of the situation. Ah. He's probably like, it kind of sucks that my knee is messed up, but it did feel like this was inevitable. But just a reminder, you probably don't need to feel that bad for Andy Dalton, even though all indications, all indications, you know, from guys that have played with him that I've talked to, like, he's a great guy, great guy, great guy to be around. He is making $10 million this year. So, yeah. And it and, doesn't seem like the knee injury is that bad. And yeah, the knee injury is not that bad. It sounds like he probably could have played, right? And that was what they is, were saying. Why, why is Matt Nagy saying that? he's the starter if he's healthy like why don't say that just be like hey what well, we hope andy gets healthy you don't have to say i know you made him uh, they keep saying like he promised him something i don't why what happens if fields goes out there and looks amazing then you're not going back to dalton right why say well, this why put yourself in that situation i don't know because i guess at the end of the game he can say fields looked amazing he's the new starter uh but uh, reason number two that dalton is the winner is just reference back to what we said about Garrett and Clowney coming after him. That's a fun one to watch from the bench, not from uh, the captain's chair. Yeah. That's <laughs> one where you're on the sideline. He's got the headset. He's like, hey, man, I'm going to be your eyes. I'm going to be your eyes on the sideline. I got you. And I'll and tell you right now, they're, are, they're, they're coming. Right, They're right, coming right around the edge. The, the guy wearing 95, yeah, we're not going to be able to block him. No, yeah, good luck. But Just I will say aware. this. Be aware. A lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, poor Justin Fields. He is a very athletic dude. And in a game when Clowney, and Clowney's not what he used to be, but he's still pretty dang good. When Miles Garrett's coming after you, it's kind of nice to have a guy like Justin Fields as opposed to a guy like Andy Dalton. I can tell you one thing. The offensive line, that, that room, the guys in that room are thanking God that Justin Fields is playing quarterback this week and not Andy Dalton. They're like, oh, oh, thank you. Not a statue. This guy that runs like 4-4 four, four and is amazing yeah. and strong and can run away. Yeah, well, uh, and I don't know that Nagy will do it, but, man, one of the best ways to slow those, those big crazy animals off the edge down is start zone reading right at them. Uh, and it just kind of takes those guys out of the game a little bit, but who knows? He he won't do that. Nope. <laughs> there's no there's no way he does that. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? College football playoff. I mean, they delay the vote on the expansion. Just get it done. We already know we're expanding. Agree on something. I feel like everyone's just trying to find something to disagree on. Uh, the twelve team format. Uh, we heard all the the details of that now. Everyone's proposing an eight-team playoff with um, guaranteed slots. 
They can't find a, a solution that everyone agrees on, so they're delaying it. We know it's going to happen. Don't get sit down and don't leave the room until everyone agrees on something. And I know it's going to happen no matter what. I totally know that it's going to happen no matter what. But let's just get this thing done and start doing it now. That's what that's what the fans want. I it just it's frustrating to me whenever they can't figure out how to expand this thing. And I understand everyone wants to have the the best thing for their conference or or group or however you want to look at that, but gosh, can't we just move forward? College football is the slowest to do anything ever, and it's horrifying. Yeah, so the there's several reports, right? The CFB Board of Managers was supposed to meet next week with the CFP management committee, which by the way, can we get some terms that aren't so close, you know, <laughs> right. but they were supposed, this was, you know, we all thought that next week was going to be the week when, Hey, this thing expands, we get rolling, but it, it sounds like some of the conference commissioners have concerns right now. And I thought some of the concerns that they put out there are so they're just so funny to me because one of them was like, well, it would really affect the players' academic calendars, you know, oh, finals. God. And I was like, really? We're not really? doing that stupid thing again, are we're we? We're going to pretend we're, we're, we're still doing that? We're still acting like we can't? Okay, okay, okay. I'm telling you, if, if I was in that room and I'm running that committee, uh, that committee, and someone brings that up, I take whatever papers I have and throw them at the person and tell them to get out. Don't ever want to hear that argument again. Can't do it. We got every other group, every other sport plays their playoff normally right through uh, finals weeks, whatever they got to do. Division two does it. It's so dumb. I hate that. So annoying. One of the other concerns was health and safety, which legitimate concerns, 17 games, but hey, you got name, image, and likeness now, man. It's 17 games for two two teams out right. of 130. It's not like everyone, someone's right. like, it'll be just like playing an NFL schedule. Yes, for two teams. Yeah, well, yeah, two teams minus the three preseason games and then minus the playoffs after that. Like, You really want to compare it to an NFL team that plays in the championship? Uh, not even close. I'll tell the you kids. that right now. The kids aren't getting paid. Well, I mean, if they're savvy enough, they can they can make some cash That's now. Their and fault. now it's their fault they're not getting paid. Exactly. And the most annoying at all of all, Ted, the when I was reading through a couple of the articles, oh, the issues, the issues. The Rose Bowl. What the hell? I I do not know why we let the Rose Bowl hold all of college football hostage. Listen, the mountains, it's great. It looks great in the second half. Yes, it's beautiful. I get it. The parade's cool. Awesome. Great. But the amount of weight that this appears to carry is ridiculous. I I just don't, I don't understand why, why the Rose Bowl is such a big deal because I don't know. Is it, is it just a massive deal and I'm not aware of it? Like, did I miss this? Did I miss like the meeting or something? 
I don't know. They they throw their weight around, and I'd be like, okay, you guys continue to have your game on New Year's Day and have your parade. You can have keep your TV uh, rights. Right. You can have Boise State and Cal play in the game this year. It'll be great. We'll all watch it while we're gearing up for the playoff with the real teams. It's dumb. I'm I'm with you on that. It is dumb. Honestly, I wish they got rid of the whole bowl thing altogether for the playoff. You want to do the bowl thing, do the bowl thing. But for the playoff, I would love if the home teams if teams got to host it. Can you imagine a playoff at like in Norman, Oklahoma, Georgia, or Oklahoma, Oregon, something like that in a playoff atmosphere? That would be so cool. Be awesome. Sign me up. Sign me up. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you are doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that's why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. In 2012, Balcones won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen, and became the first American distillery to win the competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones Distilling products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com and make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join, and as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Winner of the week, Ted. Don't worry, I'm going to change it. You stole it. You stole my loser of the week. But I, got, <laughs> no, I, just I can it. adjust it on the fly. You just scrolled. You just you scrolled. It's okay. I saw your face I when you it. did it. Hey, I, I, I'm flexible, baby. I'm adaptable. Oh it's God. all about adapting. So, winner of the week. Thought about going with Gronk, right? I, I thought he was hilarious on the Manning cast. And, and now everyone thinks he doesn't watch film. Like at all, like that, like that Rob Gronkowski has never watched a single play of film is in his entire life. And I, I don't think this is an insult is an insult, but maybe it is, but him saying he doesn't watch any film. It just feels so on brand, man. And it just makes me like him even more Ted. I just, I, when he said it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's going to be a huge deal. And it's hilarious. I mean, it's awesome. Cause obviously he's watched some film. Yes, of course, and I i don't know. hes He may not watch a whole lot on his own, which wouldn't shock me that much, but everything he does is hilarious. It's like last year whenever he was sent in the, the clips of him running. They had to send in the clips that they were running and doing the, the conditioning, and he did it all in one day and was changing clothes. You remember that? Yes. <laughs> Love that guy. Oh, it's so funny. But, but, you know, the part of that that is – funny like to guys like you and I if we said that publicly whenever we were in the NFL 
we'd be released the next morning. <laughs> yeah. Now he was like, now he's like, I actually watched tons of film, an overload of film, I believe is what he said. So it is, uh, it's just funny that like, because Gronk says it, people are like, yeah, Gronk doesn't watch film. Like it was clearly a joke, but he's just the way he is. You kind of believed it. You're just like, uh, maybe he's just that good. Maybe it's just that good. He's always played with Tom. I'm sure Tom does all the watching for him and just tells him like where to go. All yeah. right, you know. Hey, uh, we got this look. Just you know the route. But Funny. my winner of the week, Portland State. That is an FCS program. Portland State head coach Bruce Barnum. Probably, probably the best, <laughs> the best story I've seen all week. So he was trying to get fans to come to their home opener so he he does a weekly radio hit on a radio show and he said he would buy fans their beer if they came to the game and ted our man bruce barnum is a man of his word because he picked up a fourteen thousand dollar or fourteen thousand four hundred forty eight dollar tab from a bar in the stadium and i just i i just respect it so much that he was like yes please come to our game i will buy you your beer and then the man actually did it like that is that is dedication and they won the game that's probably the most important part so i just i I don't know how much money he's making he's been there for a while 200k how much 200k is his salary oh man that's a big percentage yeah especially after you take half of it for those oregon taxes Ooh, was a bold yeah the the university's got to do something for him right i'm sure they helped him out i'm sure that it sounds like like he signed the ticket and paid for it but i'm sure the university because it turned into a great deal and they're expecting another big crowd because they end up having a really nice crowd and a lot of people had a really good time. It's a good game. So it's it's going to be a home run in the long term. They won the game 21 to 7. Nice. But uh did you see did you see the receipt? Yeah. From Barney's Beer Garden. What what did you think about Coors Light almost doubling up the I don't know how to say this word, Deschutes, Deschutes, fresh squeezed IPA? Coors Light, the Silver Bullets, strong, strong performance from Coors Light. Uh, my first thought was, if you're only going to have two options at a at a bar, those are two weird options. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, Coors Light's not weird, but I, but the, the fact that there was no like Bud Light or Miller Light, or right. there was, it was just like, no, 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 we've got we've got the one light beer, and then we've got the IPA. That's all you get. <laughs> Uh, that's great i saw huh okay but good on you hey bruce barnum good job man i really hope i really hope the university picked up that well i'm sure it has to be one of those things where uh, he's probably got to pick it up because they can't be saying free beer at our football games like there's you can't give away beer you know at Eh. events like that so they're they probably had to figure out a, a an interesting way to, to be able to do that, which yeah. 14,000 bucks, that's worth it to get a bunch of people show up and probably going to be there the rest of the season now. But 
do they just all expect free beer now? <laughs> it's kind of coach. <laughs> where's it at? This seems like a great marketing opportunity for Coors Light. I'm just saying. Yeah. Feels Step that way to me. Yeah. Okay. For my loser of the week, thought about going with Charlie Brewer. Man, he, he got pulled in Utah's loss to San Diego State. They end up losing, and I think what triple overtime. He was replaced by a name that will ring some bells for OU fans. He was replaced by Cameron Rising. Kid went to Texas, said he was coming to OU. We That's haven't right. forgotten Cameron. Wow. But you, you look at Charlie Brewer now, left Baylor, now leaving Utah. And I guess it's so technically he can still redshirt, uh, land somewhere else, try to keep playing. But, Ted, you remember those NCAA commercials? where uh, they talk about people going pro and something else. Yeah. Think it, think it might be that time for our man, Charlie Brewer. Yeah, it probably should have happened after he took uh, his last of his 15 concussions in 20, was it, 19. And that, God, he got, kept getting dinged up. That was bad. I felt bad that he kept That playing. one in the bowl game was, whew, man. Yeah. Brutal. But, yeah. Weird situation. Wish the best for Charlie Brewer, but. Maybe it's time to uh, start that venture capital job or the commercial real estate, Charlie. Where we'll see, think? but uh, I don't know. It's, I, I do feel bad for a guy that transfers around. And I, but part of me is like, don't you at least have to stick it out? Like right? if you, you made a commitment to a, to a team. I mean – what if Cam Rising goes out there and you know breaks his leg on a play and they don't have anyone else? Oh, you're gonna all of a sudden show back up because you can play now? I don't like that part about it. Me and you both. But my loser of the week, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Now I I will say, anytime you're a basketball player and everyone's talking about you during football season, it's pretty impressive. Usually you're a pretty good basketball player if that is happening, but he's the loser of the week because people are talking about him in all of the worst ways. <laughs> I mean, all of the worst ways. So it's mostly just people trashing him about how he can't shoot about how bad he was, especially in that game seven in that series against the Hawks last season in the playoffs. He, he has said he wants out of Philadelphia. He is not going to report to training camp with the 76ers and doesn't plan on playing for them ever again, Ted. Never, he says. But I just, I I hate this, man. Like, And it's crazy because what was it? Two seasons ago, we're talking about him being, what, a top a 15 guy yep. in the NBA? And now it's it's crazy how much it can, it can change. But he has gone with the, he has gone with the nuclear option here. It appears. Well, uh, if I'm Philly, I'm like, okay, I don't know exactly exactly what their CBA says, but we'll just fine you for every day that you don't show up. And eventually, at first it's not, but eventually it's going to start getting really, really, really painful. So, the, See, you and I think that way, but now with all the power the players have, in the NBA, it's like, I, I, I feel like teams are scared at times to stand up to players because they don't want to earn a reputation 
across the league, right? They don't want to like they all of a sudden the 76ers organization doesn't want to become the the franchise that you know finds their players that way. You know what I'm saying? Like if you if you go cold on a place, they won't work with you to to for a trade somewhere else. I get that. Hey, I'm not saying that I would ever be a good owner, <laughs> right? I'd be, I'd be bad, but I, I would, I would definitely be pulled into this, uh, this battle here. And I don't know. I, if he doesn't want to play there, then ultimately, yes, they're going to find a way to make it a good trade for them. But whenever you announce that you drive your price way down, you know, and it's going to be harder to get a deal done. But he is a basketball guy stealing headlines in football season. There you go. So congrats, Ben Simmons. Good luck. And on that note, episode 149. Do you see how I adjusted there, Ted? That was good. That was good. I'm sorry. I just I just went right in and snatched You're busy, your loser. man. You're, you, you <laughs> snatched my loser, but guess what? We, we were able to talk about it together. And Hey, more content, baby. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Obviously, we'll be recapping OU West Virginia. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref, and you can hear me from 3 to 5 on SiriusX and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Another night.